0: I had never spoken with Cooper Carter until today, so I didn't know what to expect. What I got was a very interesting, well-read, well-rounded musician with a passion for all sorts of books, music, and bourbon. Sounds like my kind of guy. Cooper's probably the most well-known fractal axe effects expert in the land, but he's also a killer guitar player, a killer writer, and he tells us a little secret in our time together that he has his first solo album coming out sometime this year. I'm so glad to get to know this guy, and I can't wait to get to know him a little better. Here's Cooper Carter. All right, thinking and drinking. Cooper Carter, how are you, man?
1: I'm doing well. I'm uh, I'm drinking uh, right now a sparkling water, not very sexy. I would usually, uh, if it were a little later in the day, I'd have a bourbon.
0: <laughs> I'm drinking flat water. There so, we go. Uh, so, yes, I'm trying to do more thinking and less drinking, the older I get, for sure.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Me too.
0: What's your favorite Especially bourbon during
1: the pandemic? You know, it's easy to drink a lot when you're just yeah. sitting around. It. <laughs> yeah.
0: What's your favorite bourbon?
1: Uh, you know, my daily drinker is Maker's. I like Maker's yeah. 46. Um, my brother and I, uh, my brothers and I drink a lot of bourbon. My uh my brother-in-law is a big Maker's fan, my wife's brother. He uh he always comes over and brings a bottle of Maker's, so I tend to drink a lot of Maker's. Uh <laughs> you know if if price is no object i like uh i do like pappy a lot i know like who doesn't yeah. but i with some i know some people who don't but uh i enjoy drinking that i like uh a h Hirsch reserve a, a good bit but those nice. are hard to find now these days too
0: yeah um, have you tried wellers
1: people? oh yeah of course absolutely yeah
0: cuz i mean it's a lot like pappy i think
1: it's like, very uh, similar to yeah yeah the last time i had wellers actually uh I believe was at a, after a dream theater show, actually, I think John Petrucci had a bottle of, uh, I think it was Wellers. He's gotten really into bourbon. He really enjoys it. And knows a lot about, he talks about that in interviews and stuff. Yeah, uh, I always, uh, anytime I'm seeing him, I show up with a a new bottle and we try a little bit or a lot of it. (laughs) (laughs) I love a good bourbon though. What about you? Are you?
0: Yeah, man, Uh, bourbon, bourbon and vodka. And now my wife is into gin. So we're, yeah. It's just like my,
1: wife, uh, my wife loves gin. I, I've never been a gin fan. I, it's like uh, you know, the, most of them are too junipery for me. Like it's like somebody crushed a Christmas tree up in vodka. I'm like, boy, yeah. I gotta go to you know, so. right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I so don't like vodka.
0: We've spent a lot of time the last couple of years in Ireland and Scotland and so I love those the the Irish whiskeys and the scotches and, and it's just interesting going through a distillery that's the size of your house. Right, you know, These micro distilleries are pretty, it's pretty fascinating. And just the part of the country and the peat and, and whatever just makes that taste like that taste. It's pretty, it's fascinating to me.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, what's so amazing about that too, is like, you know, us, us Americans, we, uh, we think we have history. And then you go to Europe and it's a, you know, just this distillery has been making the same whiskey for fucking 500 years or yeah. something. It's like, yeah. it's, it's way <laughs> cool you're over there and, you know, it's a castle, and the you know his dad's dad's dad dad going back to you know King Henry the Fifth or whatever.
0: <laughs> yeah, it used to be. It's distilled in accordance to the uh, the purification laws of 1774, which meant you had to have like a fresh sheep stomach or something. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you gotta love it.
0: Well, are you from a musical family, or are you the guy?
1: Uh, I am. Uh, definitely from a musical family. My uh, my actually. <laughs> It's funny you say that. My dad and my brother—if you go on my Instagram right now, actually—I uploaded a ridiculous Instagram story last wow. night. My dad and my brother were over, and we uh, cranked up a bunch of Neil Young, and we were all jamming. It was a it was a good <laughs> time. I, uh, <clears throat> I've got one brother who's a like a you know intense musical connoisseur, really knows music, really appreciates it, but he doesn't play. Um, and then I've got a brother who actually is a touring violinist uh, wow. and a and a damn good uh, guitar player and songwriter as well, but he plays uh, in an Americana band, uh, plays fiddle in that, Uh, and then he uh, plays in his own band, Guitar, Uh, it's kind of like a power pop sort of uh, big star replacements. uh, Yeah, really great. Um, And then my mom uh, is a very good uh, pianist, she was a competition pianist in college and high school way back, Uh, and then My dad is uh, in the music business and he plays as well, you know, as a hobbyist, but uh, he's on the management side of things. So
0: Um,
1: very musical household. Um, I certainly was not the only one uh, playing music growing up and, and it's ended up, I'm not the only one still doing it. So
0: So was your first guitar acoustic or electric? What, 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 what was laying around the house?
1: You know, uh, I, I was very, I was very fortunate. I mean, we had a, a studio in our house um and my dad nice. yeah he collects guitars he uh he had a lot of guitars and i uh i very famously ruined a couple of very nice guitars when i was young and my dad was uh very very encouraging of my playing and uh i really abused a, a tailor that he had uh and then when i first started touring actually i stole his strap for a while and The road did its did its work on that one, and it's definitely got some age on it. But uh, the the first guitar I ever had was actually like a four string, kind of like learner's ukulele type of thing. Oh, cool! I I think I was five, maybe six. I was taking lessons where you play Jingle Bells and Mary Had a Little Lamb, and you know, single note stuff that you're reading, and they don't really even teach you a. You know, you get the GDC, but it's mostly learning it's not, I wouldn't, I would not call it classical guitar, but sort of like, you know, single note melody, kind yeah. of. Just learn how to move your fingers sort of thing. Um, and then I guess when I was a little older, probably, I don't know, nine or 10, I got a baby Taylor and that was, uh, that was what I played for years <laughs> well into my teens. It was funny. Like the first time I ever seriously sat down to play a full size acoustic, I think I was probably like 12. And I was like, Jesus, this thing is huge, you know, because I'd been ripping it up on a baby tailor for the better part of seven years at that point. I just like it was this massive, you know, I remember my guitar teacher handed it to me. He was like, Here, you need to start learning how to deal with this. I was like, ah, it's big, you know. So oh, man. Uh and then my first electric um was uh, you know, I actually still have it. I was I spent the pandemic I travel. Yeah. As you know, I mean, working with all of the uh, bands that Fractal is associated with that I work with on consulting, I, I fly around a lot. I'm, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not on tour per se. Like I don't go out with one band for three months or or what have you. Um, But I'll go in and dip into a camp for like one week and follow them for a couple of dates or like be in production rehearsal for two weeks and then leave and go to the next band. And, um, you know, sometimes if the (laughs) I remember last year at one point the touring schedules were lined up for a lot of fractas big artists. So I was like doing three days in LA and then three days in San Fran and then three days in LA and three days in SF and three days and back and forth between the bands. It was, um, but being home, this is a very roundabout way of getting back to my first guitar. I finally had time to kind of take stock of all of this gear that I've just sort of accumulated, uh, that I don't really ever use, you know, doing demos and stuff. And, uh, and just all of this random stuff. And, you know, you buy better stuff and then you don't have time to sell it or whatever. Cause I, you know, you're on the road. And so I went through and I sold off a ton of gear on reverb, which was really nice. Kind of like decluttering. And, but I was like, oh, uh, should I sell this? ibanez RG 1570 that I never played that my dad gave me when I was, you know, 13 or 14 or whatever. And I was like, nah, man, I can't do it. You know, like I got to keep your first electric. What, yeah. was, um,
0: what was your first one? Dude, uh, I'm like you. Everybody in the band or in the family played something. My brother is a killer drummer. My dad was a trombone player. Mom was a piano player. I oh. knew I was never going to be as good of a drummer as my brother is. So I asked for a guitar, and I got one of those Stella Harmony things nice. with, with the campfire yeah. painted on it, and the strings yeah. were about an inch off. Classic. Uh, and then um, I got a Yamaha, which was a really nice acoustic, and I sold it. Wanted it back, so my folks bought it back, then I sold it again. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, my first good guitar that I had made was a Hamer Standard, which looks like the Explorer. And so I've got one of the yep. first, It's I think it's the third one ever made with a Wang Bar on it. The first mm-hmm. one was... Dave Lubeck and Molly Hatchet and second. No, first one was Rick Nielsen. Second one was Dave Lubeck and the third one was me. And so I'm, I'm in mean, all those guys like Bonamas and all these guys, Mike Hickey talking about all these goofy guitars like that. But yeah, it's, it's now, I, I mean, I need to do what you do. I mean, crap, there's just, this is just a little. Yeah. It builds more. up.
1: Yeah. I trust the, so I know. The, yeah. I mm-hmm. mean, one of the biggest things for me was when I, you know, when I first started working uh, with Fractal in, like, I think, you know, 2011, I put a bunch of pedals and amps in storage and literally have never touched them again. So yeah. that really downsized my my world. You know, I, I don't even... Like, I keep one combo in my studio just in case I need to do a video for Fractal showing how to run the Fractal in right. an amp. Um, but, I mean, like, I've got i got a bunch of gear in storage that I have not attacked that yeah. I should, you know, because it, <laughs> it builds up, you know? I, mean,
0: I, always I say, love the
1: people right behind Rick Nielsen, though. He's a legend, and I yeah. love, love Rick Nielsen.
0: Yeah, he's awesome. I always say if you open a guitar case and can't remember buying that guitar, then you're not going to miss it when you sell it.
1: <laughs> you know, I've never gotten to that. I, you know, I was saying earlier, like, I don't really – other than like music, I don't really collect anything. When I was a kid, I was a voracious collector and I actually have, this is so ridiculous. I don't even know why I'm admitting it, but I have a storage space that literally it's like a five by 10 and it is full of literally only star Wars collectibles. I, I spent all of my allowance when I was a kid, like every week I had, I would like buy every star Wars thing (laughs) and, I want to, I, I should sell it to some collector. There's a guy who Absolutely. runs like a or out in like New Mexico or somewhere. I can't remember what, um, but it's just sitting there and it's, I mean, there's some cool stuff. Like some of it, if I ever had like the space to have a yeah. room where I could just like put some of that shit up and my wife wouldn't murder me, <laughs> I would have some of it out. But, uh, I've got a few of the like rarest pieces in my studio that are kind of fun, but I never really collected anything. And that kind of includes guitars. Like I don't really have as many guitars as some people expect. I get asked yeah. a lot of podcasts and stuff, like how many guitars you have. And I think it's like, I think it's 15 maybe.
0: Oh yeah. And
1: that's I, not that bad. And they don't specific kind of use more or less, you know, yeah. I, um, I think it might be 17. I don't, I don't know, but it's, it's not a lot. I don't really, you know, they're tools for me and I love them. I love yeah. it. But
0: I'm up to about 55, But, but they're all, yeah, yeah. but I mean, it's like, I never wanted to be John five and have a hundred tellies. I wanted to have one or two really good tellies and one good Les Paul and a couple of good music, man. And, you know, and just kind of spread it all around. But, um, so what I'm sorry, go ahead.
1: No, I love that. I mean, I, I definitely, if I were to collect, it would be to have a couple great, Examples of different styles. I, I definitely like, I'm the same way. I, I wouldn't want to own like 45 strats or whatever. Like, it'd be nice to own, you know, five different strats that all have something cool about them. But yeah. to be completely honest, like, uh, when Music Man developed the new Cutlass line and oh,
0: dude.
1: demoing that one, the, one of the first, you know, production runs of it, and, you know, uh, Dudley wound the pickups designed after, uh, I think it's uh, a mid sixties. I can't remember. I don't want to say the year and have it be wrong, but early to mid sixties strat um, that I believe was Derek's uh, over at Ernie Ball music, man. And they, they wound customs um, pickups to match that and the body styling and everything. And that really like, uh, I had them custom make a a cutlass to me, for me, like to my exact specs. And I've literally, I've just stopped lusting after, strats yeah. now like it's just so good it plays like a vintage guitar but it has all of the benefits of like brand new you Dude. know high tech
0: yeah like i've got a 61 and it doesn't ever leave the house so Beautiful. it's, it's kind of it's worth it but it's not worth it in sure. that sense but well, I mean, with
1: guitars like that, you got to be careful. Like, the reality is, guitars are meant to be played, but, uh, yeah. you know, acts like that, that's an investment. I mean, especially recently, post 2008, you know, the value after the housing crisis, like the value of musical instruments, people finally caught on to the fact that, like, some of them are worth a fortune. Yeah. And, and it's a good idea. Yeah, it's a great investment
0: for a lot. Of people, so. Oh, dude. It's funny. One day I had to sit down for insurance and write out what everything is worth. I said, <laughs> I told my wife, I go, you can, here's what you can sell these for once I die because this is what they the round figure, figure figures you're going to be but uh, yeah so you went to Berkeley in 2005
1: for, and, uh, correct yeah when I was in high school I went for a, a summer semester
0: oh okay
1: so what, what got I, you? Yeah, I didn't go there for, for college I went to Northwestern uh, for college but ah,
0: okay so what yeah. did you what did you study at, at Berkeley when you were there
1: uh so I did the summer intensive and my concentration was uh guitar performance and then uh music theory. Okay. So I did a lot of theory classes and a lot of um um kind of I mean it was a lot of theory classes but then also you know a lot of classes that were mixing the kind of notebook theory camp mm-hmm. based theory um with actually applying it to playing. So there was there were a lot of classes that I took that were just, you know, on the piano, which I I do believe is the best way to learn music theory. It's so much clearer like on the uh, on the piano. But then the other half of classes were uh thankfully like how does this apply to guitar and, you know, they didn't really leave it up to you to figure that out. They it was very clear like there were classes that where the whole point was, okay, now that you know all of this, here's how it's actually useful to you, which is really ultimately all that matters, you know. I mean, I enjoy academic exercise as much as anybody, but the reality is if it doesn't make you a better player, like i don't see much point in it so yeah
0: no i'm totally with you, totally with you, so then you went to Northwestern, what did you study there
1: uh, i so when I was at Berkeley, I had a a really amazing time and i and I did the summer program um I think it was about i can 't remember what it was like a month and a half or two months, and it was uh really fantastic. I was fifteen. Uh, I turned 16 while I was there. So yeah, it would have been, I don't know what year that would have been, but uh, I think it was 2005. But I, uh, my reason for going was I had had a good friend um, who was a pianist. He went, he said, it was just an amazing experience. He went the summer before. Um, And I went kind of because I was really torn at that point. I didn't know if I wanted music to be school and school to be music. I knew I was, I mean, at this point, I was playing like four or five hours a day minimum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would stay up until I would get all my homework done. And, you know, at 10 o'clock, I would go play music until like 3 a.m. And I was like, was, my, my high school years uh, and college years, for that matter, was like, I was young enough to be able to be like, this is what I'm doing. And I only need four hours of sleep. And then I'm going to sleep the entire day Saturday, you know, so <laughs> I was playing sometimes six hours a day, just playing guitar all the yeah. time. I really wanted to make sure that the, you know, structure of a school environment wasn't going to kind of stifle my love of that. Um, and I kind of, I really loved being at Berkeley. I learned an amazing amount in, in those, you know, six weeks or I can't remember what it was, but, um, I learned so much, but I also learned that I really wanted to, be able to do that at my own pace and have music be that thing that was the escape for me and not the concentration. Um and so I went uh to Northwestern. I studied what I wanted to study. I just studied English literature because it's what I really loved and uh had a real passion for, you know, reading and all of the, you know, classics in high school and kind of continued doing that. But I was playing, you know, six hours of guitar a day at least. I yeah. mean, I I was structuring my classes so that I had classes monday wednesday friday and what tuesdays and thursdays were guitar days and i had very structured uh you know rubriced out things of what i was going to do you know spend an hour on this and an hour on writing and then an hour just jamming the shit and yeah. um so i, I kind of i made the decision that i i was not going to have uh school be music and music be school and ultimately i think i was a lot happier doing that i'm not yeah. sure it would you know, and that was what was right for me. I have a lot of friends who, uh, well, who went to Northwestern and did music and had a great time. But I have a lot of friends who went to Berkeley and other great, you know, Juilliard and uh, other great music schools and really got a lot out of it and are very successful. And um, but it was it was the right thing. It was the right thing for me keeping music uh, sort of my thing that I did on my own terms.
0: Did I heard uh, Steve I say if if the discipline makes you happy. Great. If the discipline doesn't make you happy, then don't do it. And if it doesn't make you a better player, like you were saying, then don't do it.
1: I couldn't have put it better. Yeah. I mean, Steve is a, is a wise, wise man. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and an unbelievable player, of course, without, <laughs> goes without saying. Um, yeah. I mean, I think, I think you see that uh, a lot and, you know, in a, in a way, and I love Berkeley and I, like I said, I have a lot of dear friends that, went there and I have some good friends who teach there uh, now. And the reality uh, is that I think you, you hear a lot, you know, at the risk of this is going to sound not great at the beginning. And then the, by the end of the paragraph, it'll sound fine. But I think a lot of people get the sense that like all the famous people, all the good people, you know, they go to Berkeley and then they leave, you know, like dream theater, Al Dimiola, like these guys, they go and then they leave. But the reality is that the industry is chock full of people who go all the way through. Uh, and who have done incredible you yeah. know work and it's just that I think you're you're right. Like it splits 50-50. If the discipline is what makes you happy, great. If it's not, great. It's yeah, two it's sides hard. of the same coin. And um I think for a lot of people too, I mean like I know you know the guys in Dream Theater, uh John and uh, John and John, John Mayong and uh, John Petrucci famously in high school, you know, if they saw each other out in the afternoons, they would just you know, they just look at each other and assume, okay, you did your five hours, you know, cause they had a, they were going to each practice five hours. And with discipline like that as a teenager, like honestly, who the fuck needs school? If you, if you have the yeah. discipline at 14 or 15 to sit down and play six hours of guitar, then I'm not sure you really need anybody telling yeah. you what to do. And obviously they didn't since, you know, their dreams, they've done, they've done pretty well. So.
0: They've done pretty well. They've done pretty well. So you were talking earlier, um, about a STEM collection that you started while you were at school, at college. Yeah. So how, can you kind of go through what that is, how that works for you?
1: Yeah. I mean, so that's really the one thing I collect. You know, we were talking earlier about guitars and other things. And um, I really love um, the creative process for me. It's what's, is what's most appealing about stuff. It's why I enjoy doing video stuff so much. You know, I do a lot of video work for, fractal and i do my youtube channel and i've directed some concert films for uh several bands and i love music but more really than my i come to music because to me it's one of the purest creative experiences and for me what what rings my bell is the creative process so part of that for me is uh like i was always the kid that bought like the expanded edition of every movie when it came out and i watched the making of shit first you know right. like i would all of that. I remember buying like the Lord of the Rings DVDs, there was 12 hours of bonus features. Like that was my shit. <laughs> and the the music side of that is I am obsessed with STEM tracks. I'm obsessed with hearing all the things separately and that informing my experience of the completed product and the ability to kind of see into the process and, and see what the musicians were thinking and, and see what the producer added to it and and all of these elements that. You know, with good speakers and with good ears, you can hear these things in the mix, uh, but you gain just this unbelievable appreciation for what goes into all of your favorite songs. (laughs) Um, And I was mentioning earlier, like when I was in college, uh, and, you know, kind of Guitar Hero and Rock Band blew up, and guys figured out that for that game to function, uh, where you've got the different parts, if you're playing the guitar part and you screw up, that part has to drop out. So guys realized that. Uh, yeah. Those tracks, the stems were embedded in the game discs. So, some enterprising guys pulled all of those off, and you've got the drums, the vocals, the bass, the guitars. Uh, you've got like the auxiliary parts. A lot of the times, those are mixed together. You've got like a piano and a tambourine or backing your vocals, and even the BGBs are in there. Um, but they kind of flooded the internet, and that was like Rock Band Van Halen, which was every Van Halen album. Beatles rock band, which was every Beatles album, Metallica rock band, which was every Metallica album, every song. Uh, and that really lit my passion for it. And I started, uh, you know, going onto forums and stuff. And it turned out, you know, there are a lot of guys that collect these things and trade some of the rarer ones. Um, like, you know, Michael Jackson tracks on Thriller, where you've got like 50 different tracks, like every single take of all these things
0: like
1: PYT and all these just amazing, Songs. And then as I got uh you know into the industry and actually started working in it professionally, I was able to kind of through, you know, friends and stuff. We uh share stems of stuff we've worked on and stuff like at that and at that point it's like those aren't ones that I would ever trade with people. Like they're very mm-hmm. uh sessions I've worked on and it's like private uh content that you know that we don't share publicly but it's i so appreciate having them because it it informs my work because so much of what i do is designing sounds and you know taking um sounds from albums and figuring out how we're going to translate that live um so you know i have a lot of stems from clients that i've been lucky to work with that are some of my some of my favorite music that um again isn't stuff that i share but like you know my uh my brother and i'll sit down in the studio and have a beer and pull up stuff that I've worked on and just listen to these stems. And it, I just love that, uh, that element to it because it's, it really peels back the curtain, uh, on how amazing some of the work is. Like it's your favorite song to me, only gets better when you pull all that stuff down. Like I'll, I mean, it drives my wife crazy, but I'll on a five hour (laughs) car ride, I'll go through one Beatles album and just listen to each track with every track. So like, I'll do like, here comes the sun, just the vocals. And then here comes the sun, just the drums. And here comes the sun, just the bass. Right. And like, listen to those back to back. And I fucking love that. Yeah. It's not for everybody, but, uh, that for me is like, it's, it's the pinnacle. And then you listen to the whole song together and you hear all these things that you've never heard before.
0: Well, what you're doing with fractal and consulting and stuff, I mean, I would think it's amazing when you pull up an amp sound, when you pull up a fractal sound, and you get, like, this diesel with a boogie, and it's just super overly saturated, and then you put it in a track, and it just disappears. Yeah. I mean, that helps you, pr- production-wise, really understand how tones fit in tracks and how certain guitars fit in tracks, and you might... Nope. I mean, I was talking about the new ACDC record last night and you listen to those guitar tracks and the older Angus gets the cleaner his guitar tone is. It's not overly saturated anymore. It's breaking up, but it, but it fits in that track so well.
1: One of the things that I confront most often, uh, when I'm talking uh, to people, you know, in clinics or on the fractal forums, um, you know, the fractal Facebook groups, people are asking me questions. Um, in my masterclass, we have a, uh, chat board there and a messaging system and students can ask questions. But I find that the number one uh, thing that people run into is how to get their tone to sit in a mix or to sit with the band. Yeah. And it, um, it really, it amazes me. It, it kind of, I mean, when I first started out doing this professionally, it really surprised me, uh, how few people realize that the tone that sounds good to you when you're at home alone or you're in the studio alone and you're playing, just, you know, rocking out that tone actually, like it can be God's gift. Uh, but it's probably like 90% of the time, a pretty shitty tone to use on stage or on a record. And then you go, uh, you know, you go and listen to these stems and, you know, people put them all over YouTube. I, 10 years ago my collection was uh tipped way heavier towards stuff that not a lot of people had heard but at this point i mean i think uh you know music blogs like consequence of sound and stuff every week they pick a different youtube video where somebody's uploaded like here freddie mercury's isolated vocals from we are the champions never before heard it's like dude i mean we've been listening to this for years somebody just (laughs) uploaded it on youtube like and it's amazing i mean that is a yeah hearing the gang vocals on uh, or the harmonies on we're the champions uh, queen oh, is dude. like, it's spine tingling. It's unbelievable. Yeah. But, um, but back to what I was saying though, like people, uh, overwhelmingly, uh, like hobbyist guitarists and, you know, bedroom guys and, and dudes who aren't, aren't doing it professionally. Um, they're always really surprised when they hear those stims are like, wow, this is so weak. Like there are no balls. There's no, right. uh, there's no chunk. And the tone, I, they always say like the tone is so fizzy. It's, it's, it's so like ratty and trebly. Uh, it's like, yeah, it doesn't necessarily sound great alone, but that's the point is for it to sit in the mix and not yeah. step on the face and not step on the kick. And, um, so for me, yeah, I, to your point, um, hearing all those and really studying those when I was younger really informed my sense of, you know what i needed to be dialing in uh as a player and then later on as a as a you know consultant doing uh the, on the production side of things what kind of tones i needed to be going for like really dialing in some of those upper mids that aren't that great when you're yeah. alone you know dialing out that sexy fat low end that shakes your walls and makes you feel like a badass like that stuff doesn't work you know it's like uh, <laughs>
0: unless your roommate is a bass player Right.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's fine. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's something that is constantly on my mind is, is this tone uh, going to work in a band context? Because at the end of the day, you know, if your goal is to play alone at your house and have fun doing it, um, I think there's like a theme in this podcast of like, that is 100% fine. If that makes you happy, great. Yeah. But if your goal is to play in a band or to be, you know, to have your tones sit in a mix, there's a very different mentality. Uh,
0: for so that. When, when you get hired by band X and they want you to come and help with tour stuff, um, will you listen to the music first and pull out the guitar tones and figure out what you're up against and see if that, and, and, and also do, will you, well go ahead and answer that please and I got a, a follow up sure, to that. Sure sure.
1: So <clears throat> excuse me, you know it really uh it changes based on who I'm working with and you know every band is different and every band's approach to how they want to do things is different. Mm-hmm. So and then you know every project even within a group is different too. So like for example, um, the first uh, when I the, the first Taylor Swift tour I did uh some tone design on uh and you know some consulting as far as like they were going to fractal and we were taking a lot of sounds um and i came in kind of in the middle of they'd done some work this was the 1989 tour um and a lot of it was listening to not only the guitar sounds but also a lot of the synth sounds and trying to translate those to guitar yeah, uh, so that, was, that was a really interesting one. Cause like we were making, uh, we were doing a lot of parts that weren't originally played through a standard amp. Like it was a mm-hmm. guitar through a, a synth. Uh, there was a lot of that on there that the guys in Sweden were doing when they were tracking that, uh, that record and uh, that album rather. And so that was a really interesting one, but you've, you've also got kind of the flip side of that where it's all just straight up guitar, but the tone is super, uh, famous, you know, like a really recognizable tone. Like, yeah. so I'm thinking like, for example, like with journey, Neil Sean, everyone knows, I mean, not only yeah. do they playing immediately, but his tone, I mean, it, it, it sounds like Neil Sean. And, and to a certain extent, you know, the, there's the legendary story, you know, like Van Halen plugging into a, a crate cube or whatever. And it sounded like Van Halen. It's like, every player is going to sound more or less like themselves, yeah. but there also is like, you've got to nail that tone. And so in that case, it was really helpful to be able to uh, not only go in, like, so to your question, like I always do a deep dive into the music Mm -hmm. before I, even if I'm super familiar with a band, but then also if I can, and if they have them far none, the most helpful thing is to get all the guitar tracks. And most of the time, most of the time people have those. So like when we, uh, like when Bush first went out with the fractals, we actually had all of Gavin. Uh, all of his stems from sixteen stone, and we were able to go in uh, and tone match them all in the fractal. Okay, uh, and also, so we did the tone matches of the stems, and then we also went from the ground up and said, like, let's just start at zero, put these sounds out of our mind, and let's dial in uh, a tone that you think is really badass. And most often, I think um, when we go in, I'm trying to think, like, I pretty much without exception, maybe there are a couple examples where people are still running tone matches. We end up being happier with the tones that we dial from the ground up, just as, you know, we start to say, let's just dial until you're digging yeah. it. Yeah. Um, but it's amazing though, too, how signature the sounds of some records are. And for some bands, um, we do go in, we tone match all the stems. And so when they play the song, it sounds exactly like the record. Yeah. Uh, and that's amazing for fans because I mean there is a, there's definitely a, a group of fans who want to hear it exactly like the record live and that and we can do that now with the practical like the technology being able to just you know um, match it exactly um, and that's a combination of you know using your ears and really putting in the time but also with the power of tone matching like it gets you uh, really damn close pretty quickly.
0: Dude, and it's it's so insanely. Consistent. I mean, you can leave your favorite plexi plugged in twenty four seven, but if you put your guitar down, go to the bathroom, and come back, it's it might sound different.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And to me, uh, there are so many benefits, and we're kind of moving into talking about fractal land at this point. But there are so many benefits just to going um, direct, going digital, going using the fractal. Uh, or, you know, or other modelers. I don't want to act like practical the only one around, but certainly uh, my favorite by a long yeah. shot. <laughs> but, uh, and one of those, the top of the list for a lot of touring guys is the consistency. I mean, it's unbelievable. And front of house loves it because you can get into production rehearsals and spend a week dialing in sounds and getting them happy with front of house. And that's literally how it's going to sound every single night for the rest of the tour. Yeah. So all you have to adjust for is the room which front of house is going to do anyway. That's what they're used to. Yeah, But you know, in your ears, it's going to sound the same every single night, no matter if you're doing a radio show in a small bar or you're doing, you know, like a, a radio show in a studio or you're in a stadium, mm-hmm. you're always going to sound the same in your head, which ultimately to me, because I work, you know, I do work a lot with the front of house guys, but my, you know, my one-on-one guys are the guitarists and that's my job is to make sure that their sound is great. And I'm always of the mind that if it sounds good to you in your ears, you're going to play better. It's going to be a better Sorry, show. Yeah. yeah. And if we're giving front of house, something good, they can do what they do and work their magic and they can make it sound however they want out there. But as long as the guitarist is happy, that's really where I want to get. Yeah. Um, and it's amazing to have a tool where once you get that, it doesn't change because yeah. you're right. Like amps are so finicky. Uh, and a lot of that's the beauty of them too. Sure. But if you're trying to keep a tone consistent on a tour or even worse, keep a tone consistent on one song or one record over the course of a couple weeks in the studio yeah. and it's acting up, I mean, that's a bitch. So it's, uh, it's really great to be able to have that consistency.
0: And it rains one day and it snows one day and the temperature varies and blah, blah, blah. It's insane. Do you find find a lot of guys are totally fine with leaving amps at home or are they still wanting to have their rack of marshals and they're just using fractals for the effects or are they using effects and amps and cabs and everything?
1: Uh, You know, it's because of how, widespread the adoption of the fractal has gotten. You find, you definitely find more guys running full direct. Yeah. Um, and you know, it really is the case where uh, we are at the point now with, with the modeling where I have seen uh, there are a long list of very top tier guys who I can't, you know, name, but who I have seen in blind AB tests, not be able to tell which is their amp and which is the fractal. Oh, I mean, I don't
0: doubt that at all. And
1: the reality is once that happens, if they're amenable to it and they're able, you know, cause some guys, they don't want to believe that. And, um, but once that switch flips, most guys are absolutely fine with, uh, saving on cartridge. I mean, cartridge <laughs> is the most expensive part of touring. And, and uh, well, one yeah.
0: part and for insurance.
1: sure. You, well, I mean, and going from a, you know, your smallest head based rig if you're not a combo guy, you know Americana can get away with a combo, but like you know, rock band minimal. I mean, the smallest rig I've really ever seen on any kind of serious tour weighs in at several hundred pounds. Minimal, yeah. And the Fractal's seventeen pounds, so it's kind of <laughs> at least the aspects Two was. I I'm not sure. Yeah, I think the the three might. Well, I mean, whatever, it doesn't matter. But it's considerably less. You put that in a case, and you're you know. Get it under fifty pounds and throw it on the airplane. So yeah, that benefit is huge for guys. Um, there are guys, though. I mean, uh, famously, uh, you know, John Petrucci. He has a long-standing relationship with Mesa Boogie. I mean, that yeah. is such a core of his tone. Um, and the reality is, you know, even if the sound is the same, there is definitely a, a, a romance. You know, capital R romance oh, to man. amps and and tubes and the the knobs and the dials and you know, being able to come up and just turn a knob and have it, that's all, I mean, that's so much a part of so many guys process, you know? So it's less about, and you know, when you're at the level of a, of a dream theater or, you know, anybody else in Palika, it's really up up to them because, you know, at a certain point that makes the show better. And that's a cost that they don't mind incurring because that's, it's part of the music and, you know, it's like classical guys or, uh, you know, uh, Broadway guys famously like you'll see them uh, do clinics or whatever, and they're they're reading their music and they're turning the pages. And you know, the untrained mind might think like, "Why are these guys like? Why are they using music? They have played this a thousand times. They've got to memorize." That's part of their performance yeah. it's, process.
0: It's you know? a security blanket.
1: Well, and I mean, I I don't even say it. You know, maybe I don't think you mean that in like a judgmental way, but I would think no. you know, my cross to some people is like. Well, why do they need the security? But, like, it's every bit as much a part of their show as anything Absolutely.
0: else. Absolutely. And for
1: guys who have, I mean, like, John Petrucci, Mesa Boogie, I mean, that's the most synonymous thing since, yeah. you know, Jimmy Page and Supra or, you know, Marshall Live. Right. You know. Um, so, at a certain point, it's like, does it matter that the Fractal can do all that? For a lot of guys, hell yeah. And they'll switch and they're thrilled about it. Some guys like their amps and that's equally yeah. valid, you know if you're a uh you know if you're a small band going out trying to save money or even a big band going out to save money uh, and that it's a no brainer to switch um you know consistency weight uh and you know the, the other side of that is to be completely honest uh i go to i i work in a lot of sessions where guys who love their amps walk walk out at the end of the day and they're like you know what man i never thought i'd say this but honestly i think the practical just sounds better yeah and they never tour with their amps again. You know I mean? Yeah. I've been in a lot of sessions, uh, before, you know, album instead of before tours where guys bring in all the amps and then we dial up sounds on the fractals and they're like, you know what, honestly, like, let's just send the amps back to storage. Like we don't need them. <laughs> um, there was actually, there was one session. I'm not gonna say who it was. Cause I think he'd be fine with me saying this, but I don't want to step out of line, but, uh, a dear friend of mine who, who I worked with, uh, several years ago he's a great songwriter and he uh he was going out on a big tour and he was switching to fractal and we had all these amps and we were um gonna match them and everything and i said look before we start let's just um let's go from the ground up let's not even turn on the amps yet let's just dial until we've got a tone that you're really digging and we spent about an hour tweaking a uh A model of a fender deluxe and i think it was like it was just that and an 808 model uh and a little bit of tape delay and he literally turned to his engineer and he said let's put all the amps on ebay and by the end of the week he had sold every amp except the first amp he bought
0: yeah
1: yeah so it was like i mean that that is one of my favorite practice stories because it's because that's the truth right there. <laughs> I
0: mean, it's- Dude, I was out with a band and on the deck, it was 108 dB. And we were trying to bring radio stations up and stuff to watch from side stage and everything. And finally, everybody went direct. And one of the guitar players didn't even have the unit. He had, what, what's the, the the bigger pedal board? But it's just the pedal board.
1: Oh, the FM3? Or the- yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And he had that and about six guitars. And his guitar tech was just sitting there looking at him one afternoon. He goes, what? What's the matter? He goes, dude, I feel guilty even doing this job. He goes, we went from unloading the truck to getting the sound in about 45 minutes. And I had to string some guitars. And it was just like, holy crap, this is amazing. And bam, it's so easy and it's perfect and it's so consistent. And yeah, they, they took all their amps home.
1: Yeah, there are a lot of very happy techs. Uh, oh, who work for guys that uh you know, and I spend a lot of time working one-on-one with techs. I mean, there are actually there are several uh bands that I consistently have worked with over the years uh who I work with the guitarists, you know, a, a day or two at the end of the sessions, but I'll spend a week with the techs like dialing yeah. stuff just to get everything ready to, you know, show to the to the guy, you know, the player and um I, I love, I mean, techs are so underappreciated. Uh, I mean, by the public at large, you know, who never really yeah. even think, consider it, but, but even within the industry, like, you know, those are the guys that keep the fucking show running, man. I mean, it's, and you know, the, the best players and the, you know, kindest guys, the coolest dudes, they all know that. And they yeah. pay them to treat them accordingly, but, uh, you definitely run into some bands where they don't, which is a bummer because those are the guys that, I mean, the wheels don't, uh, wheels don't wall with <laughs> man the crews were the lifeblood um, uh
0: let that band do a show without those texts and they'll start treating them better
1: exactly <laughs> but there uh there definitely are, are a lot of texts who uh whose backs are a hell of a lot happier after having switched to frackle that's right, for sure
0: yeah yeah i assume you've dipped your toe into the kemper well as as well
1: uh, i have played through kempers i have uh I have definitely you know explored them in depth yeah. um, just to know you know know the competition so to speak or um I have a lot of thoughts on that technology versus the fractal um that you know I'd, I'd keep well measured but i will i will say uh I was a fan of fractal long before in i ever worked for them, so yeah And there was a reason for that. I I think that uh, by every conceivable metric that's important to me, the fractal is far and away the most advanced, most usable best sounding guitar gear on the planet. And, uh, and to be completely honest, I really uh, good for the other companies for keeping pace. Um, But, you know, I'm not, I don't really see there as being that much, you know, numbers wise, obviously healthy competition. There's competition is good for everybody. Tide that raises all boats, but I don't I don't really see a real competitive equivalency between the Axe-X3, which at this point is the flagship fractal product, yeah. uh, and really anything else on the market as far as what it delivers, how it delivers it, uh, and how hard you can run it. I mean, this unit has proven itself over and over again on the biggest stages, the biggest studios in the world, for thousands of shows for, I mean, at this point, well over a decade. So. Yeah. I mean it's uh it's a badass piece of kit man <laughs> it's and it's and I'm thrilled every time I turn mine on whether it's he you know here or out on the road or you know it's it's just a joy every time
0: Absolutely I've got the uh FX2XL Yeah yeah which I love man I love it
1: great, great unit absolutely
0: And it was free so I like that
1: That's even better. Gear always sounds better when it's
0: free. And your wife likes it more, too. I've noticed that. Yeah. Your your studio is is killer. What do you have, 129-some YouTube videos? I know they all weren't done there, but it's so great. I assume you concentrate on fractal rigs, but you said you've got a combo in there. Is your studio, I mean, do you do just guitar stuff there? Do you have ISO rooms that I can't see, or what's going on with your studio?
1: So I've got, yeah, I mean, I've got a drum set. I actually, you you started uh, out playing drums. Your brother was playing drums. I actually, I started out on drums before I played guitar. And I actually played drums professionally a little bit in in high school and college before I ever played uh, guitar professionally. So I love playing drums. Yeah. I've got a set, uh, Slingerland in another room. Um, And then I've also got a set of Roland V drums. And I use those a lot to play into Superior um, for guitar uh, any of the demos you see um on YouTube that I do for Ernie Ball or Fractal if there are drums in there that's usually uh I mean it's always superior drummer, but a lot of the times I'll use their loops, but a lot of the times too, I'll actually just play them in on there. Um and I've got a room where I track vocals. Um and then obviously, you know, keys are easy. I run them direct. I run everything through the fractal. I mean it's, I've tracked yeah. keys i tracked organ through the fractal. I've tracked vocals through the fractal. I mean it's um you've done I vocals? I have, yeah.
0: How do you do that?
1: Sound great. I just run them right in. I use the tube, uh, preamp model, in the okay. a little bit of a uh, little tube pre, a little bit of compression. Uh, I use the studio compressor out of the aspects and then I'll usually dry, take them into the DAW and then, uh, run them back out into some of the reverbs and stuff. And, uh, you know, reamp of sorts, but, uh, bust them out, um, into the fractal. And I've done a lot of vocals that way. A lot, I've tracked a lot of for various people, uh, with vocals through that, yeah, it sounds great, man,
0: man, well, what is the Atlanta uh, studio situation like? Are you guys cutting stuff there? Has everybody got their pro tools at home and they're all working separately, or what's happening uh,
1: you mean like as in terms of like currently with the pandemic and everything, yeah, 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 I mean everybody, I actually was just talking to a friend the other day, and he was saying uh, he wanted me to run over to his studio down the road and help him out with some fractal stuff and uh, that was the first time in a while anybody's ever been like, Hey, let's get together. Cause the reality is I think, um, you know, the Atlanta music scene, as far as like the local scene is very close knit and everybody kind of knows everybody mm. you know, like any scene, but um,
0: yeah.
1: it's, but we also, it's kind of funny. Like there were a couple really big studios uh, in Atlanta up until kind of like the early two thousands. And, um, or the, you know, the late 2000 aughts and a lot of them closed uh, and they were really just amazing studios. Um, and so at this point, like you've got this situation now, which is similar to every, you know, other city though um, just cause gear has gotten so cheap and everything where most local guys um, have built out home studios. Like, I mean, everyone, I mean, so in my solo band, it's me, my drummer, a bassist, keyboardist, each one of us has a pretty full fledged studio, like on our property, which is kind of silly when you think about it. But I think during the pandemic, uh, I know a lot of guys have poured their vacation money or whatever into upping yeah. their studio game. And, uh, I, you know, there's a lot of Instagram stories of, of guys who are building out their studios and everything. So at this point, I think we're going to be, once everything is able to be normal again, have a pretty good picking of like whose studio you want to work at, which is kind of, yeah. Um, kind of cool i also think we're going to see a lot of just amazing music coming out very soon because i know so many guys have just been grinding away Um, absolutely and as you know as hard as this year has been for so many people in the music industry and and everywhere just because of i mean the pandemic has been awful and it's hit so many people so hard and um i tend to want to look on the, the bright side of things though despite all of that and i think the reality is for a lot of people. Uh, you know, and I don't want to risk offending any anyone who was hit really hard by this, and and you know that this was the farthest thing from their mind, furthest thing from their mind. Um, but I think a lot of musicians who were on the road and have been fortunate enough to be uh, financially and and health wise secure enough to take some time uh, have really found this year to be an opportunity uh, mm-hmm. to do some things that they haven't gotten around to doing. I mean, I um, I haven't really talked about this could actually be probably the first time I talked about it be the uh, lead off line for your (laughs) podcast but uh I'm very close to wrapping up a solo album which I've been working on for years now uh and finally kind of had the time to really bear down and get serious about finishing it I mean my um my friends and family who know I've been working on it have been like when the fuck are you gonna finish this and uh and I've taken some time to do that and uh, I mean you look at we keep coming back to uh, the Dream Theater guys, but I mean, the amount of music they have put out during the pandemic, they've got, they did a new Liquid Tension album. John did his solo album. They're doing a new Dream Theater album. They did their DVD. Yeah. Uh, and it's all out of the studio that they spent the last year building. Uh, and yeah. that Matt, their, their tech has uh, poured his heart and soul into And JT, their uh, engineer. But I think it's, you know, it's been in a way, if you want to look at the bright side of this, it's been kind of a cool time for musicians who, have been able to, you know, have the space to maybe do some things they haven't done to really focus on their craft and focus on their, yeah. their space. And their. I'm a big believer that the space that you are creative in is a really important thing to get right because you work better when it is right. And
0: absolutely. Um,
1: yeah. So, you know, I, I think hopefully very soon we can get back to touring because yeah. so many guys, you know, are really hurting because of that. And, Dude, here, I Nash-
0: here in Nashville, you can't throw a rock without hitting a, a tech or a band guy that's out of work. But yeah. you're right in saying we're gonna have all this amazing music because also you don't you're not ignoring something by sitting down in your studio and recording your stuff for you. You're not ignoring anybody else.
1: Right. Yeah. You know, and I think the other thing too that um really gives me hope is how much uh and you know, I've been really fortunate to just because I do so much of the video side of stuff, I've been doing a lot of work for bands, uh, consulting and producing live streams and, and these sort of things. And it's been so encouraging to see how hungry people are for music. Yeah, uh, and that you know, when we get back, when it's everybody's vaccinated and we're safe in this, you know, this fucking thing, we we beat it. Uh, I think people are just gonna pour into venues. Yeah. It's going to be one of the most vibrant times for live music. People are going to have worked on all these amazing albums. They're going to come out. People are so ready to get out and rock and dance and scream and just have a great time. I mean, this, this could be the best time for live music in yeah. a decade. You know, it's i mean, going be it,
0: fun, man. And I'm
1: so, I'm still looking forward to everybody being able to get back out on the road. And, and see all their, you know, their road family too. I mean, I, I miss seeing all the guys that I work with and, and I yeah. know everybody's just like aching for that, uh, for that experience of being back out. Yeah. You know, I mean, the road has its ups and downs, no doubt, but man, when it's good, it's, it's the best thing around. It's why we do what we do. It's because playing music live and working on music live and being a part of that. I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing
0: like that. Absolutely. Having your wife to miss, that's kind of fun.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's honestly, <laughs> some of that is, I mean, it's, it's, you know, funny, but it's, it's true too. You know, it some of that, true. some of that's healthy. Like it's, uh, you know, being away makes you appreciate what you have. And it's been, I mean, it's been great for me, at least. I'm very lucky. My, my wife and I are very happy spending all of our time together. But yeah. <laughs> some, some people have made up, you know, I mean, she's really the only person I ever want to hang out with. So it works. This year's worked well in that department for us.
0: That's how we are. That's awesome, man. Well, cool, man. Well, do you want to do my lightning round real quick? Absolutely. Let's do it. Just, I'm just going to throw a question out there. Just whatever pops into your head. Sure. What's your favorite book?
1: Ooh. Oh, man. Um you know, I want to say Hamlet, but that's not a book. It's a play, and it's the book of the play. So I'll give you a better one. Uh, I've got a giant bookshelf here of all my favorite stuff. But, um, God, man, probably probably the Iliad. All right. Yeah. That's a good Maybe, one. I don't know. Or the Odyssey. I'm, I'm, I go back and forth between those. Probably the Iliad, though.
0: <laughs> so you, you live in the classics land. You're not so much uh, what's going on uh, now. Oh, I'm a huge
1: fan of contemporary stuff too. I okay. mean, I, I read a lot of Murakami, and, uh, I mean, I, I read a lot of yeah. everything. I, I try to get through them. I mean, if I, uh, what did I read most recently that was good? Oh man. Uh, I just finished an incredible book. I don't know if you're into history or anything, but, uh, the swerve is an unbelievable book. Uh, it's about the, the, the well, it's, it's the tipping point that kind of pushed humanity into uh the propelled humanity out of the dark ages and toward the kind of the age of reason and the renaissance and all of the the path we're now currently on where we're pursuing a higher understanding of our existence and knowledge and all the factors kind of contributed to that in europe and it's fascinating really really amazing and it's sexy too it's not like a boring read it's it's really
0: Awesome.
1: That was a long answer for a lightning round. I'll oh, that's
0: good, up. man. That's awesome. Uh, what's the last gift you gave someone?
1: Uh, I got my wife a new car for Christmas a couple weeks ago, or yes. I guess a month or so ago at this point. Uh, so that's, I mean, yeah, that's the last one.
0: You a bath or a shower guy?
1: Uh, I am definitely a shower guy. I love showers. Uh, yeah, I like baths too. I mean, but I prefer, uh, I've got a hot tub. So that's, I spent a lot of time in that. Yeah. Two yeah.
0: What's the first concert you saw? How old were you? And did you get a t-shirt?
1: Uh, This one is tough. My dad's a manager. So the first show I probably saw, I was like, I was probably, you know, two months old. Right. And, I, and it was one of his clients and I definitely have a t-shirt. I still have it. <laughs> I have a, I have many t-shirts.
0: Yes. Yes. So your dad works in management still to this day out of Atlanta?
1: Uh, he does. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, first show I ever went to alone. That's probably a better one. Uh, like the first show I paid to go see because I was a fan, uh, was probably like, you know, alone when I could drive and it was cool. and went with friends. It was the Mars Volta and they were oh, absolutely cool. out of control. It was fucking awesome. My, actually one of my best friends and I, we were talking about that the other day, uh, I mean, this was like 15 years ago or whatever it was. They were so intense and so loud and so insane. It was the coolest thing I'd ever saw. I was just like, this band is nuts and I love it.
0: Yeah, (laughs) that's awesome. Yep. What's the uh, last movie you saw in a theater?
1: Uh, I masked up and went to an 11 a.m. showing. I was the only one IMAX uh, for Christopher Nolan's Tenet uh, a couple months back
0: if uh and i know you said with all your music man stuff that your guitars are kind of more tools than anything but they're fantastic tools but if money money was no object what guitar would you buy
1: oh uh, that's i mean that's not even a question if if money were no object i would have bought one of the uh jimmy page les paul painstaking recreations i think they sold for half a million or whatever uh, yeah the, I think they did like, you know, 15 of them or I can't even remember Yeah. when I, I think they came out when I was in like a high school or college I was just like, holy shit. But yeah, I'd love to have one of those. Yes, I would love to have bought David Gilmore's black Strat. That would have been nice. Oh, nice. Man.
0: Yeah. I, it, almost, almost anything, even like his Martin 12 string stuff that went out the window that would have been fun.
1: Yeah. Uh, the, you know, honestly, even more than the black one, I would have paid, if I could have, You know, if I had the pocket for it, I would have definitely ripped out some serious cash for the red uh, with the EMGs that he played in the 94 Pulse tour, because that is my favorite era of his tone. Yeah. And yeah, I would do horrible things to play that guitar.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What would be doing? What would you be doing if you weren't doing all of this stuff?
1: Uh, I would be probably uh, directing films full time. If I really? didn't do any, if I didn't do any music at all, I would as a player I would love to direct concert films and stuff, which I do do sometimes, and I mm-hmm. really love that. Um, and again, you know, as we were talking about earlier, really only because I I mean I love playing music, but I really just love the creative process of whatever form that is. Right. Um, and so, if it's creative and there's music involved, I don't really care what role I'm playing in it. You know. Yeah. So.
0: That's great. What are you listening to for fun these days?
1: Uh, (laughs) That is a funny question. I, uh, you know, I don't listen to a lot of current music uh, like current pop unless I have to for work. Um, But I've been going down, it kind of comes around cyclically, you know, every, uh, every so often you go, I think like once a year I go into a deep month of listening to Allman Brothers, and this is that month. I've been nice. listening to nothing but Allman Brothers for like all week. My uh, wife's <laughs> like, enough Allman Brothers. But uh, yeah, every time I get in the car or whatever. I, uh, so yeah, I've been on an Allman Brothers kick pretty hard uh, recently. But other than that, um, you know, I listen to a lot of, you know, a lot of guitar music. Yeah. I, I mean I listen to a lot of Dream Theater and a lot of Greg Howe and a lot of Eric Johnson and yeah. Pink Floyd. I mean it's it's standard guitar guy stuff, yeah. you know. There's no surprising answers here. Right.
0: So. Yeah, I got to meet uh, the Allman Brothers and cuz my last name is Allman, Greg looked at me like he goes, "Dude, are you like a, a little brother, or a son I didn't know that I had?" It's like, "No, no. No, <laughs> no relation."
1: That's funny. I uh, yeah, I never met Greg, but I've, i uh, I know his son Devin Allman. He played in a, a group. Uh, they were in Atlanta for a while. And oh yeah, it, Bonamassa actually played all the leads on his first album. There's some ripping leads on that album. It's called uh, It's Devin Allman's Honey Tribe and right. Torch. Do you know that album? Yep. Yeah, Bonamassa just unloads on that album. It's uh, there's some searing shit. It's That's great. great.
0: So what's next for you? What are you hearing on the touring front?
1: You know, I was on a call the other day about that. Uh, and I'm crossing my fingers for the fall, but at this point, honestly, I think most people are still kind of holding their breath. Yeah. I know that there, you know, people are scheduling stuff in Europe. Um, and Bush actually just announced and it's public now, so we can talk about it, but, uh, they've been planning for a while, uh, to run down to Australia for a tour because Australia, if you, you know, they have a mandatory quarantine period and, mm-hmm. all of this, but they are actually doing uh, live music with people who have tests and stuff. Uh, much like in Hawaii where, you know, everything you've got a COVID test and you have it on your phone and then you can go wherever you want, as long as you beep your phone into the thing and, so they're actually doing live music and I think that's in uh April maybe so they're going down for that and wow it, it's going to slowly start coming back. You know, I don't think it's going to be just like a switch is going to flip and
0: Yeah, I'm um, with you. Yeah.
1: But I think most people scheduling stuff for the US uh if they're looking at the fall, the pessimist in me, I'm not sure I've come across as a pessimist during this uh, podcast but I think at heart unfortunately I kind of am. I I think I don't think we're going to see any real touring in the US until 2022. That's wow. just I don't see it happening. For one thing, I don't see people genuinely in mass, you know, smart, considerate people uh, really being comfortable packing into venues and really letting loose, you know?
0: Especially not arenas and stuff where you're elbow to elbow with 15,000 people that you don't know.
1: Yeah, and uh, honestly, I think even when everybody is vaccinated and it's technically, you know, quote, safe, I think it's going to take a while, even for, you know, even for people like you and me who love it who live and breathe this to feel comfortable, to kind of get over that. What we've gotten used to the last year where it's like, Whoa, don't, you know, don't get up in my space. And you know, we, I, I, my wife and I were talking about this the other night, we watch movies and you see somebody go up and hug somebody. You're like, Whoa, 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 bro. You know, like, or they walk into uh, it. I keep stopping myself. Like we've been watching TV and, you kind of, the characters will go in for like a handshake or like, they'll walk into a restaurant. You're like, bro, bro. You know, like in the back of your mind, it's like, what are you doing? (laughs) Don't
0: you know how dangerous that is?
1: Right. Exactly. So yeah, I think it'll just take a while for people to get, uh, back into feeling like that's a good thing to do. But then once they do, like I was saying earlier, I think it's just going to, it's going to be amazing. People are going to be, once they get a taste of it, they're going to be so glad that we're back. Yeah. And work fire on, on all cylinders. I'm I'm excited for it. I've missed it. I mean it's been Oh man. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing in the world better to me than live music. Like, it's yeah. just it's the greatest. So
0: that's great, man. Well, what are your uh social medias that you'd like to put on here? Anything?
1: Yeah. Uh I mean I'm Cooper underscore Carter on Instagram. Um and that's really the only thing I'm active on. Uh
0: and YouTube.
1: Well, other, well, uh, other than YouTube, as far as like, you know, post places, but yeah, youtube.com slash Cooper Carter, facebook.com slash Cooper Carter guitar. I most consistently post on Instagram uh, stuff that I'm up to. And I have been um, a little slack on YouTube as of late because I've been working on my solo stuff and really kind of trying to keep my head in that. Uh, But hopefully there's going to be some more YouTube stuff coming very soon. Uh, I've got, a I did episode one of my show uh pandemic survival albums with john and jordan from uh, dream theater oh, last cool. week. and uh i've got episode two in the works with a very exciting uh guest that hopefully will materialize here soon so uh keep you know keep
0: yeah jordan on. jordan's one of those guys that still has the ipad with the the music up there which i always think is just yeah. funny yep. but he's one of those guys It's part of his it, deal
1: Yeah, you know, that's a good point i i um I wasn't thinking about Jordan when we were having that discussion, but you're so right. I think for him too, like I, I don't, obviously it's not that Jordan Rudis doesn't know how to play those songs. I mean, he's, exactly. he's a genius, you know, yeah. I mean, like, and I hate how often that word is thrown around. I think we've really cheapened the word genius, but I do think Jordan is genius. Uh, yeah, I do too. But yeah. No, it's part of the performance. That's part of the, it's, you know, it's like playing the notes. You, he changes the, you know, the pages and <laughs> I totally get it. I totally get it. It does blow my mind the JP's up there every night playing without music. I mean, like, and, oh, and my young and all the rest of them, I yeah. mean, the number of notes and just the amount of work he puts in to, to knowing all that. And just, it's
0: yeah unbelievable.
1: Mind blowing. Wow. Any of those kind of guys with that kind of music, yeah. you know?
0: Well, do you have a release date for your record?
1: I do not. No, I don't want to, I don't want to say any, you know, log myself into anything yeah. I have. There are, there are probably going to be 12 tracks. Um, I've got nine of them done. The other three, I am uh, hoping to have some friends play on uh, that we all know and love. And uh, we'll see how that comes around. Cool. Uh, and I'm kind of mastering it and mixing it as I go. So it's, it's funny because like, I can't say when I think it's going to come out. I think it'll, you know, summer or whatever, yeah. but, uh, but most of it's mastered. So it's like, <laughs> cause I kind of, <laughs> I do them piecemeal. So yeah.
0: Awesome. Well, man, yeah, I, thank you so much for having Congrats. me on. <laughs> dude, I have really enjoyed this. Thank you so much. Absolutely. And, uh, if you ever need a place to hang out in Nashville, give me a call.
1: Hell yeah, man. I'd like, you know, I, uh, I love being up there. I haven't been up there in a while, obviously, cause I only go up there for work. Yeah.
0: Well, dude, I will get out of your hair, man. Thank you so much. Uh, it's just been a blast,
1: man. Absolute joy. Thank you for having me on.
0: Absolutely. We will chat soon. I hope
1: absolutely yeah i hope to see you in person yeah
0: absolutely yeah for sure for sure
1: we'll uh we'll tip back some bourbons
0: i'm in i'll bring a stunt liver we'll go hard it'll be fun i love it (laughs) thanks cooper
1: take it easy man great to meet you
0: you too bye-bye